What's up, guys? I'm back from Thanksgiving break, feeling recharged and ready to get after December. Uh, and this is a, a unique December for us because typically the law firm, we're scrambling to close cases in December. And actually, um, in the first week of December, we're going to hit our annual goal for revenue. So December, really, this year is going to be a little bit relaxing for us, uh, getting ready to prep for 2023 when we have another 25% um, added to the revenue goal for next year. So we're regrouping, getting ready to go for next year. And I made this post on LinkedIn about how in the last four years, uh, we had 4X the revenue of the injury section, and I got a couple of DMs about it. So I thought I'd, I'd hop on here and do uh, a little bit more in-depth study of what we changed in the last four years since 2019 uh, when I started to today and the impact that it's had on the firm. So here we go. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. All right, so I distilled this down to four things that we did over the last four years that have caused the overall revenue of the firm to go up 3x and the revenue of the personal injury section in particular has quadrupled in the last four years. And so I'm going to dive deep on each one of these. But the four things that we've done are, number one, having a narrow focus. So identifying who we serve, why we serve them, and eliminating everything else. Number two sounds stupid simple, and it is. It's set a goal and tell people what the goal is. If you don't have a goal, how the hell do you ever know if you're working towards it or falling away from it? Number three is knowing your numbers. Um, as I talk to more and more law firm owners, I am cognizant of the fact that most law firm owners do not know their numbers, don't know how much revenue they did last year, or if they do know how much revenue they did last year, what they don't know is how much they spent uh, either on people or on rent or on advertising. They don't know the ROI of any of the advertising that they've done. And you know, if they do know the profit number, it's only in the sense of like, here's what I actually took out of the business. It's not what profit did the business actually generate. And those are two different numbers. So number three, know your numbers. And number four, um, you know, probably, probably is higher up on the reasons why. Um, but just naturally in the flow of this discussion, it's people in alignment. So after you, uh, have your goal and you have your no focus and you know, your numbers, it's making sure that the people that you have on your team are aligned with those goals and getting the people off of the team who are not aligned with those goals. And so people probably is the biggest hinge for this, but I think it comes last because it's uh, in the priority of like figuring out how you get there. The first couple of things you do need to do are get your focus, know your numbers and set a goal. And then you got to find people that support all of those things. So let's dive deep. So number one, narrow focus. And, you know, everybody I think has heard the term, there's riches in niches. And that is 100% true. If you are a general practice firm, or, you know, this is broader than um, broader than law firms, but if, if you're a general practice business, then you have a really hard time doing any 
specific thing very well. You have a really hard time creating processes and procedures around any specific things, which are the things that allow your team and not you, and that's important, to run cases efficiently and make more money. And so as we sat down in 2019 and tried to figure out who are we, we had a practice where we had a handful of medical malpractice cases. We had um, personal injury cases, of course. We had long-term disability cases, and we had some criminal law cases. And as a result of having four different systems across, at the time, two, I guess three, three lawyers at the time, we, we were not doing anything particularly well. And so we made the decision to eliminate medical malpractice cases. In Virginia, there's a cap on medical malpractice recovery, which in my view – um, causes insurance companies not to ever settle those cases because on the worst day you're insured up to the cap. And so, you know, you're limiting, there's limited to no personal risk to the client to trying those cases. And because they're almost never settled or very difficult to settle, they're very, very costly. And insurance companies throw tons and tons of money at defending these cases. And so, you know, we looked at our portfolio and medical malpractice had made up um, in some years, the bulk of their revenue coming in, but the risk profile was so bad uh, because if one of these cases went to trial and it flipped the other way, well, all of a sudden you are negative multiple six figures on the year. And so it was easy for us to eliminate medical malpractice as a practice area. The one that was a little bit harder to eliminate because we had a, an attorney here who did this work and enjoyed doing this work was criminal law. The problem was the criminal law practice didn't make any money. Um, when you do it only a handful of times and you're going to court on smaller, lower level cases and you're only doing one of those cases a day and you're competing against, you know, guys that are all competing on price, that was an unattractive practice area. And so we eliminated criminal law as a practice area for us. It also didn't jive really with any of our advertising because, you know, the rest of our advertising aimed at injury and, and long-term disability people was about injuries and compensation. And so it was very hard to construct a, um, a cohesive narrative or advertising theme around, you know, injury cases, long-term disability cases, and then also uh, some criminal law. So that, that was a difficult decision, but we eliminated criminal law. We kicked around for several years the idea that we would bring in lawyers to be in our space, to learn from us and treat it kind of as an incubator. So we had the idea at some point that we would have a social, social security disability practice. We had the idea and we actually hired somebody to start an estates practice that never got off the ground. And, you know, the lesson here for all of this, I think is find the things that you're really good at and focus on those things and, and only do those things because the time that you spend either trying to learn how to do something else or, you know, training somebody on marketing who does something else to run their practice efficiently is time that you're not spending making the most money and having the largest amount of impact in the things that you do. Well, we call that shiny object syndrome. And I, I saw something last week, I think Alex Hermosi uh, posted it about how to determine whether what you're doing is a pivot or it's shiny object syndrome. And I think it's so important because it's okay to pivot. It's okay to go and do something else, but it's not okay to get distracted by a shiny object and go do something else for a little bit and then come back to your core practice area. And so Hermosi says the three differences between a pivot and a shiny object is 
what are you going to be doing after the change? Are you doing two things or are you doing one thing? If you're doing one thing, it's a pivot. If you're going to be doing two things, if you're going to add a practice area, it's probably a shiny object. Um, second test is, is, is your avatar client and your core promise, is it the same or is it something new? If it's the same, it's a pivot. If it's, if it's new, it's a shiny object. And the third is, do you need a different team to make the thing happen or can you do it with the same team? If it's the same team, it's a pivot. And if it's a different team, it's a shiny object. So this looks like if it's a, if it's an entirely new practice area and you need to go out and hire a subject matter expert or paralegal in that practice area, that's probably a good indication that it's a shiny object and not a pivot. And on that last point, the test that we were using was if one of the lawyers who practiced in that area got hit by a bus tomorrow, is it a practice area that we would keep? And for criminal law, it was not because we only had one lawyer who enjoyed doing it. Um, the other lawyers who were at the firm at the time did not enjoy criminal law, did not want to go do criminal law. And so it wasn't a core focus for us. And it was something that we ended up just dropping. So number two, number two thing that we did is we set a goal. And um, I use this same practice for races and for endurance events. Set a goal and tell people you're doing it. People always ask me, how do I get started with marathon running? How do I get started with, you know, getting in better shape? I, and my advice is always the same. Pick a race, sign up for it, post on Facebook, post on Facebook, post your training calendar on Facebook, tell people that you're doing it uh, because then you will have the shame of not having done it. And so for us, we were sitting in a meeting and uh, we, we picked a really a stupid goal of 5 million uh, in revenue. And we had no idea, number one, how much work it would take to get the $5 million in revenue. Number two, what it would cost to get there. Number three, really uh, what it would look like when we got there. And so it, it, you know, from that perspective, it wasn't a great goal, but it was a goal. And it ended up on in EOS, there's this thing called your vision traction organizer. It ended up there. It was on our walls and we told the team about it. Uh, And so if we were picking a goal again, I don't know if it would be 5 million or not, but the important thing is we picked one and we told people about it. The thing I would change if we went back in time to do it again is I would tell more people about it. So Cam Harold in his book, Vivid Vision talks about uh, crafting a vision of your life three years from now and sharing that with as many people as you can, because people naturally want to help get you there. And so if I were to go back in time to 2019, I would tell more people about our goal to 5x or almost 5x our revenue in the next five years. I think that's critically important. Um, number three important thing is knowing your numbers. Knowing your numbers, knowing your numbers, knowing your numbers. Um, it doesn't matter what goal you set if you don't know how far away you are or what you need to increase to get there. And again, you don't have to know this before you set the goal, but after you set the goal, You've got to know, um, you got to know your numbers. So for us, that's like, okay, if we want to 5X the revenue, how many new clients do we need to get there? So we've got to think about now, what's the average value of a client? How many leads does it take to get me a client? How many contacts does it take to get me a lead? How many web hits or marketing pieces or otherwise does it take to get me a contact? All right, which of those things do can I influence? I can influence the average case value because I can stop taking lower value cases or I can work cases a little bit better. Uh, I can influence the number of um, 
leads to a client because we could do a better job of signing clients when they actually do contact us. We can do a better job of getting back to them faster. I can influence the number of web hits that we get because I can buy some Google marketing uh, pay-per-click. I can, I can have a marketing spend. I can do a better job of SEO. And so all of those things are levers that you can pull that get you ultimately to more dollars in the bank. But if you don't know any of those numbers, then you don't know where your greatest leverage is. So we started tracking everything. We started tracking how many contacts are we getting. This is all on our scorecard. How many contacts are we getting by week? How many uh, retainer agreements are we sending out? How many retainer agreements are getting signed? So how many people have we missed? How many qualified leads do we get? And so we have a, a very specific way of measuring what is a qualified lead and what is not so that we know, again, what's the ratio of people that contact us whose cases we want to work on to case, people that actually become clients. Um, and one of the things that we found very early on was that we had a whole bunch of people that were somewhere in the pipeline that were willing to become clients, but that we hadn't extended the offer to. And so we started this initiative where we just called everybody who'd contacted us in the last nine months who had a case that looked like it was a case that we wanted, but who hadn't actually become a client. And we said, what are you doing? Do you have a lawyer? Uh, are you handling your case on your own? Are you still thinking about it? Are you still in medical care? And it turned out that about 20 or 25 of these people didn't have a lawyer, didn't really want to handle their case on their own, but we told them, uh, we can't help you right now or the case is too small right now. And in the interim, their case had grown large enough to a case where it was one that we were interested in. And so we got 20 to 25 clients out of just going back into our fishing pond and dropping a couple of lines and spending a couple of days calling people and saying, you know, hey, you contacted us within the last nine months, and I'm just checking up to see where you are now. So just every once in a while, revisiting that and seeing what's out there, uh, you're going to find some gold. And then the other lever that we did, that we pulled, that a lot of lawyers are not very good at pulling is keeping really good track of our referrals, cases that we'd referred out that had gone to uh, a lawyer that might pay us a referral fee, but then we hadn't followed up with the lawyer to find out what happened with the case. And so we developed a better process of making a warm handoff to the intake person at that lawyer's office, making sure that we then followed up to find out what happened with that lead, whether they were signed or not. And we stopped playing ball with the guys who didn't play ball with us. So if we would send a case out to a lawyer and we never hear a thank you, or we never heard back again about what happened with that case, that guy just came off the list of referral partners. And so we, we narrowed that. And now we refer in workers' compensation, social security, disability, employment law, um, family law. We have a set number of firms that we refer cases to because we know that those people are going to number one, take good care of our clients but number two, communicate with us the status of the case and pay us at the end of the case for the referral. And so as a result, we've gone from four to five, low five figures in referral fees to consistently getting you know low six figures in referral fees coming back every single year. And that costs us almost nothing. There's almost no cost to working that kind of a case, except that you have to have a good intake team or a good receptionist who is friendly enough with the people on the other end of the line that we're making the connection and tracking what goes on with those cases. That's an easy six figures in revenue if you're getting calls for practice areas that you don't operate in. And then the last piece of this is people. 
and people are probably the most important part of this, but they're last because you have to vision out what you want for your life before you can determine whether the people that you have on your team are the people that can get you there or are they not. And that can be a difficult discussion because you may like those people. They may be long-term employees of you, but at the end of the day, if they're not aligned with where you want to go, they're costing you money and they're costing you stress. There's an exercise that we tell people to do if you have a person on your team who you think is costing you money and that's take a picture of your family and put it on the desk. And every time that person comes into your office, you know, you think about, listen, there's dollars that are are not going to my family that because of this person. Um, and if you do that enough times, you're going to recognize who needs to be on the team and who doesn't. And so, you know, the example that I'll give on this one is we had a guy who was with us who just didn't, just didn't seem to care about revenue. So there was a time where we were struggling to, um, struggling to keep the firm profitable, struggling, not really with making payroll, but you know, every month was like just dancing on, are we making enough money to keep the lights on or, you know, are we going into the negative? And we had this $90,000 settlement. So $30,000 fee, um, not the biggest case, but important. Right. And at the time probably was, uh, at least one payroll period. It's worth of money. Um, and we went like 45 or 60 days without the check coming in. And every once in a while, I'd be like, dude, where's where's the check? Have you talked to the insurance company about the check? And I would get blown off. And ultimately, I think it pissed them off enough to leave. But that's that's what sticks out in my mind is like, we got to have people who care about money and who understand the money flow if you want to have the kind of growth that we've had over the last four years. And importantly, that's not everybody's goal. Not everybody is looking to make more money, take more risk, and grow their business. Some people are very happy where they are. Some people are very happy as employees drawing a regular salary. Um, But those people don't belong on your leadership team, and they don't belong as partners in your business growing the business. You, The guys that and girls that you want with you need to be aligned with what you want out of your business in the next three, four, five, ten 10 years, however long you're thinking about. All right. So that's it. That's the deep dive on the four things that we've done in the last four years, the four XR profit. Number one, narrow focus, like eliminate the stuff that you're not very good at and eliminate the stuff that doesn't make you any money. Uh, number two, set a goal. I don't care what the goal is. The goal doesn't even need to be a smart thought through goal. It just needs to be a goal. And then tell everybody that you have a goal. A, it's great if you have a thought through goal. We didn't and it worked for us. Um, number three, knowing your numbers. You've got to know inside and out what it costs you to, to acquire a client, how many clients you're missing out on. And this is going to open up for you the the vision into the spots, your your blind spots. You're going to see where you are losing money. Number four, people in alignment. Very, very important that you have people on your team that understand those three things, understand where you're going and are going to help you get there. I hope this is helpful to you. December is a great time if you're not scrambling and trying to close your books for the year to sit back, take a breath and recalibrate for what it is that you want out of your life starting in 2023. I'm going to have a couple of episodes coming up on my process for thinking about what do I want in different areas of my life in 2023 and then committing to some goals and importantly, telling people about those goals. So that's coming up. But for now, I wish you a fantastic December and a wonderful end of 2023. See you later.